Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Happy NFL Draft Week. Happy NFL Draft Week. It's a big day. Welcome back to Roach on Recovery. Um, April 24th, year 2018. Officially recording for our posteria, whoever that may be. That's right. How you doing, sir? Oh, we are doing well. We are uh, excited about both the NFL draft and the the surprise draft that we are will fill our guests in with momentarily here. Uh, yeah, just to yeah. just a shout out real quick, not not to cut you off there, but just a shout out real quick. Uh, it has been a couple of weeks since we've been on the air, so the line, if you want to give us a chat and chime in about either the topic or uh, ask a question in the Recovery Sport Time segment is 646-564-9909. Take one, take all. We'll take all comers. If you got something to say, chime on in. <laughs> and, and, yeah, we, w- we will be holding a recovery draft today, of course. <clears throat> but more on that later. Let's get right to... The NFL. Let's do it. Let us do it. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I indeed. Have, I, I may have said this before over the, the years, but I'm going to repeat it today. My wife absolutely hates football. <laughs> hates it. <laughs> and, and, she, and she hates it on multiple levels. There's the uh, the, visceral, the visceral level of yeah, hate, yeah. because uh, number one, obviously, her her being from England, um, looks at it with disdain. That she believes, just out of spite, we call it football, and obviously we don't use our feet in playing the game, whereas they mm. call what we call soccer football over there. So she believes the Americans have just did that out of spite. I said, I don't know. Maybe. Who cares? Um, so that's the visceral hate. Let's All take right. that off the table. Then there's just the uh, the general hate, uh, which is um, she just can't understand why. And, and she's just looking at, and these are her words, not mine, at the quote-unquote big guys. And she can't understand. When she looks at the screen, all she sees is big guys running into each other. Yeah. I said, first of all, don't be looking at the screen. I'm watching the game. Yeah, right. Oh, she's not. She's not listening, right? Good. All right. So, first of all, don't be, look, don't be looking at the screen, messing up the vibe. And second of Good all, call. that's not all that was going on. But so uh, when when she when she does listen, and I know she's uh, uh, watching the youngest grandson today, so she'll probably uh, pick up at some point. She says she purposely. Uh, mutes when we talk football. Oh, she she's gonna be said, boycotting this whole episode. I, then I, I said, I said, <laughs> how how dare you do such a oh, thing? That is great. <laughs> oh man, so. yeah, that's a pretty deep rooted hate right there. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say uh, with my wife, I think out of the big three, baseball is actually her least favorite. Uh, now I won't say. I don't think she'd throw out hate with any of them, but base if she did, she probably dislikes baseball more than the three, uh, mainly because, and I can understand this, if you're not a sports fan, baseball is a very slow-moving sport, um, so there's not a, lot of, not a lot of action. Basketball has quickly become her number one, and, and mind mm-hmm. you to keep that, keep that on a scale, all things being relative, because she doesn't really care for sports, generally speaking. But basketball is her number one, and again, I think she reports mainly because it's kind of fast-paced, right? A lot of action back and forth, um, and also she she's liked, you know, the the Warriors with Stephen Curry primarily when we drafted him. He's he's in the media a lot beyond basketball, and he seems to be like a, a good guy, a family guy, and so uh, all you hear in the NFL these days are about domestic violence. Uh, you know, people and, and people getting into trouble with things that aren't so savory, if you will. And so I think that draws her a little bit to basketball as well. And then football, maybe number two, slated right above baseball because at least there's some sort of fast pace going on. Uh, but I will say what she, where football falls under the bottom of the list for her is uh, what she claims uh, what it does to me. So I, I'm very into ba- all sports, and when I watch basketball or baseball, I can get excited. But uh, when I watch football, there's a, a level of archaic, barbarian man that comes out of me a little bit. 
And uh, that is the part where she, uh, you know, when you watch football, you turn into a complete animal, essentially. And uh, so that's the bit she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't like about football is what it does to me as far as getting my juice going and, and getting the testosterone flowing. So I think the, the the wives are in the same boat about either liking it directly or indirectly as a result of what it uh, the, the impact it has on us. Well. I can say this to your wife in terms of the the energy in which uh, you watch fo- sports, football, and, I mean sports in general, football specifically, that two things cause males, generally speaking, I know sometimes it doesn't happen, but generally speaking, two things cause males to evolve out of that. One is age. So as they get older, yeah. they kind of evolve out of that. So if you're still in your 30s, you're still in that, you know, in that zone a little bit. Once you get into your 40s, you kind of start to evolve out of it. Generally speaking, not everybody, just generally. And then the second is children. If you have children, you know, you start that helps you start to evolve out of that because obviously that sports are no longer the most important thing in the world outside of, you know, the immediate family. So <clears throat> But uh, that's not to say that behind closed door the barbarians don't come out. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, and I've told my wife, right, and she's keeping her fingers crossed for a daughter, uh, you know, that, that if, if we end up having a daughter when we have a child, that that might take me out of that a little bit, speaking to your point. And I've told her uh, on the other end of the coin, the flip side of the coin, if we have a son, uh, that's just going to amplify it uh, uh, by a thousand. So you can be prepared on Sundays for a, a, a pair of uh, Garoppolo jerseys right in front of that TV set. Well, I, I don't mean to bust the bubble, but um, I can speak from firsthand experience because my era of craziness in terms of being a sports fan was in the, you know, the early to mid 90s. Okay, and that's when my both of my daughters were born in the early '90s, and it 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 didn't have a an effect, you know, on me until the later in the '90s. So when they got into like age six, seven, and, and eight, and whatnot. Um, but in those first, you know, early years when you know when they weren't talking and whatnot, uh, there was still a lot of craziness. And this was with basketball. And and this was kind of a bargain with the with the wife because I was an absolute maniac in watching basketball and baseball, which you alluded to is very boring. So forget about watching. However, she loved going to baseball games in person, but not watching them on TV. But I evolved out of basketball watching a, like a maniac every single game and whatnot, and the same thing with baseball and just paying attention to the playoffs. But then football took over. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, football is only from September through uh, January, but then you have the playoffs, and she'll say, "What? It's still, it's still going on?" I said, "Yeah, we're in the playoffs now." (laughs) Then the Super Bowl, right? Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. But now, current day, you still have the madness of the off season and the draft, so they only get a break between uh, May and June. So here we are, <laughs> right? <laughs> right here it is, right now. Oh man, yeah, no, I, I get it. I absolutely get it. So we'll have to see. So what, so what I'd like to do, real quick, so we can move on to our topic, is obviously this Friday is the NFL draft. Um, why don't you tell 
me and your, our audience, the, either if you know the name, if not the name, the position that you are predicting slash hoping that your team drafts in the first round. All right. We'll start by we'll start with the preface that I hope we trade back. So I don't necessarily believe there's like a can't miss, gotta have pick worthy of a top ten pick in our slot, number nine, um, that we wouldn't get better value by trading back and acquiring more picks because I believe we've got multiple holes we need to fill. That said, if we do end up drafting somebody at nine, uh, my hope is for the Buckus Award winner, Roquan Smith, uh, linebacker out of Georgia. And uh, if Reuben Foster gets out of this trouble or whatever happens with him, the two of them could be a great linebacker tandem for the next 10 years. And if Reuben Foster does not get himself out of trouble, Roquan Smith looks like he'd still be a, a pretty great stack linebacker in the system. So that's, okay. that's where I'm at. What about you? So you got three teams you got to report on here. I'm hoping the Cowboys uh, take either an O line or or D line, one a trench pick. As long okay. as I take a trench pick, I'm I'm good. Uh, the New York Giants. Um, I have a a gut and a heart pick. My gut is that they're going to take the running back who will then torment the NFC East for the next seven years. Um. Saquon Barkley, huh? Right. I'm hoping they take a quarterback to replace Eli Manning. And the Jets, uh, we're still waiting since Joe Namath, 1969. We need a quarterback for the last 50-something years. We need a quarterback. So hopefully they choose a quarterback. And whoever they choose makes the stench of that trade they make go away. Yeah, true. So that's all Very true. Okay. Okay. Great. And then, uh, and so you you actually hope that they make the selections in the slots they're in. None of them are worthy of a trade back for you. No, I hope they stay where they are. Okay. Mm. All right. There you have it. Yep. So, what we decided to do today is that, in honor of the NFL draft, we said, well, why don't we do a, a recovery draft? And well, what are we drafting? We're going to draft the uh, the unwritten philosophies. That's right. We're going to, <laughs> we're going to draft unwritten philosophies uh, that we deem are important to uh, a successful recovery. Now, ultimately, time, you know, time willing, of course, we're going to cover all of them. But uh, the whole purpose of a draft is is that you draft in order. In theory, right? In sports, they draft in the order of importance. So the first, the, your first pick is deemed to be your most important pick, so on and so on and so forth. So the, your seventh pick is not as important as your first pick, in theory. Um, so we're going to try and do that in theory. Of course, in the recovery world, we believe all of the unwritten philosophies are important, but we're going to have a little fun with them today. I like it. Okay. I am absolutely so, ready now. How do we want to do the coin flip? Because I got the coin ready. Right. So you have the coin, but I get to call, you know, call the coin. So yeah, um, yeah. Mr. Mr. Producer is in another location, so I won't see the coin. 
So we're, we're, we're going on two unwritten philosophies here. Um, yes. So here's, here's my call of the coin. So listen very carefully. Heads I win, tails you lose. Yeah, I've heard that trick before. I, I'm, the, I'm the one who invented that trick, my friend. Not, not gonna right. fly. Not here. All right, I'm calling. Uh, I'm calling heads for the first. Okay, game. now, in all fairness, since I am in a remote location, uh, do do we do the one? So I'm gonna flip it, catch it, and then flip it over on the back of my hand, or just let it hit the ground. Which do you prefer? They let it hit the ground. They let it hit the let ground. All right, it's going to hit the ground then, and uh, make your pick audible for the sake of the recording again. Uh, Heads. The flip is up, and we have tails, baby. Yes. Darn it. (laughs) Yes. The number one pick in the draft. I'll tell you, I've fancied myself to be in this GM position several drafts, and now my dream finally gets to come true. So, um, any you wanna do you wanna say anything before we start the picks, or are you happy with how we've laid it out to the audience, and we can we can get to moving on the first pick of the uh, 2018 first annual OCG Philosophy Draft? I'm ready to go. All right. Well, I think it it should be fairly straightforward, and you might have predicted. When there's Peyton Manning or Tom Brady on the board, you just can't pass them up. We are going with honesty as the number one draft pick in this philosophy draft. Uh, A little blurb about honesty or something that I'll throw out. So it was um, really important coming in as far back as my affiliation with this program goes. Um, to, to, to really take a look at what it means, right? So it's a word that it, it's almost cliche. Everybody talks about being honest. Everybody talks about telling the truth. Um, it's something you hear growing up from when you're as young as you can remember. Uh, but sometimes it's not really given a lot of thought into, A, what it truly means to try and be a person of honesty and integrity, Uh, And B, uh, the multiple levels, especially in treatment, that honesty applies to. So we're not just talking about being honest when you're in treatment about, uh, man, if you uh, didn't make your bed this morning or being honest about sneaking a snack into your room when you shouldn't have. But that honesty touches things like, you know, are you being honest with yourself, with your feelings? Are you being honest with – what you're trying to accomplish while you're, you're here in treatment and, and sharing things that are difficult to share and doing the work that you need to do. And so I believe honesty is so strong in what it represents and means in treatment that you have to respect all of the levels with which you need to be honest if you're going to succeed in treatment primarily. And then also as a secondary thing, speaking about honesty, I believe that all of the other unwritten philosophies kind of stem from or branch from this core idea of being honest. None of the other philosophies can even come into the picture um, if honesty is not present. So, Well, let me just say I don't appreciate you trying to blow up your first pick to be bigger than it is. But let me just add, <laughs> let me just add on to that. 
that one of the things that we do in the therapeutic community are put little things in place for people to, you know, practice being honest and building up their honesty quotient because you, you know when addicts come into treatment or let's back it up even further than that. One of the thing that goes things that go that, that does go out the window as a person goes full bloom into their addiction is their honesty quotient. Yeah. Uh, so 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 we know the honesty with themselves has been long gone, but then you start being dishonest with, you know, your loved ones and people around you. Um even though they still may know the truth. Um so it almost becomes instinctive, you know, the external dishonesty along with the internal dishonesty. And so what we try to do is to uh, put little things in place for a person to work on the external honesty, i.e. these are external things that trigger being put in a position where they get an opportunity to practice their honesty. Um, and the, now the hope is is that uh, – they use those little, you know, practice things that are that we put out there in the TC, and that the instinct flips around. That's the hope that over a period of time they learn to instinctively respond to their not only their inner truth but the external truth um, over time. We hope that's what happens. Yeah. So, with my first pick, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go down I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach I'm gonna reach deep down the board. And pick uh, trust in your environment. Oh, okay, that's a good one. So, this one ranks very, very high and important to me um, because one of the things you hear often, significantly, is a person talking about not trusting. Now, of course, we can just smack that out of the water very easily because we have trusted. We have trusted the most, you know, severe circumstances that were not in our best interest, i.e. sticking that little $10 bill, $20 bill in a hole in the wall and hoping that when you, what you get back is what you expect it to be, whether it's weed, cocaine, whatever it is, yep. that someone's not trying to poison you. Okay? So you, you had a level of trust out there when you were engaging in the act of using illicit drugs. And so when a person says, well, I don't trust, so that's why it's difficult for me to engage, to participate in all of that stuff, we have to move them back to a period of time when they did trust, but for, for the wrong reasons. And so, and the reason we have to do that is because if a person does not develop while they're in the treatment environment, the ability to trust the environment, and, the, and what is the environment? The environment is the staff, the other residents, the physical the physical plant, the physical environment, etc. So you have to trust all of that and be able to open up, share, talk about your innermost darkest secrets and experiences, and you know whatever it is from A to Z that may trouble you, etc. Um, and that won't happen unless the you know, the walls come down and you give in to the environment and, you know, put your put a toe in the water and just trust and then see what comes back to you. But you have to stick your toe in first. 
That's true. You know what I mean? You have to you have to take that risk first. It's very um, it's very well said. And we know the worst thing that happened is that someone who throughout their whole treatment experience, you know, holds on holds on tight, doesn't fully let it go because they have quote unquote a trust issue and they never get that ex- that full experience that they should get in the treatment environment. So, that's my first pick. Trust in your environment. All right. Well done. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well done. All right. Well, um, there is a there, there's a strategy to drafting, uh, and as we might tell the audience, even in the NFL, sometimes uh, there's a difference between drafting and needs. So you're drafting to fill a need versus just drafting the best available. And GMs have to keep everything in mind, especially like if there is a team in your division who you anticipate might draft somebody and you might draft an individual to, to block that person from doing so because you can imagine their team would be stacked if they had the pick they were looking for. And so uh, all that is a preliminary way of saying I'm going to utilize one of those strategies now because I believe it's a good philosophy, but I also know my opponent very well uh, over there. And let's we'll call you, since you're at the um, – the other site there, we'll call you the East. You're in the East, and, I, and I'm over here in the in the West. Yep. Uh, and so to block you, because I don't believe it'll be available later, uh, we are going to go with to be aware is to be alive. Oh, my goodness. What a thief. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be my second pick. Uh, and you know what's funny? So this one, at least a uh, long, long time ago, Uh, At the adolescent program, the adolescents used to take this philosophy really literally. Um, And so you'd hear them using it to elaborate on a pull-up, and it would, like, quite literally, the the connection would be, you know, if you cross the street without looking both ways, you might get hit by a bus. And uh, so to be aware is to be alive, right? So it was always Mm -hmm. taken in a very literal sense. Uh, and then, you know, I, I began to think about it um, as an employee here and other things that it could mean. But it wasn't actually until we started doing this radio show and hearing you elaborate on it and, and relate it to certain things that I had not necessarily related it to in my mind. Um, and the context with which you have seen it applied or how it is most strongly applied has made a lot of sense to me. And so while it was an unwritten philosophy that I never thought to be a real powerhouse, uh, the more I thought about and heard you elaborate on it, it became to be pretty clear that it's, um, it's a very, very powerful unwritten philosophy. And to take it from a literal sense and then apply it more in a kind of um, maybe a treatment sense or, or a holistic sense, being aware of you, your feelings, um, how you are in any given situation or at any moment and how that specifically touches many, many things throughout your treatment experience, whether that be in treatment in your program uh, while you're kind of laying the groundwork for yourself. And then when you go out into the real world as well, uh, being aware of yourself and everything that's going on with you on any given day or in any given situation is paramount to, to succeeding and staying clean and sober. Um, uh, you know, again, applying it on multiple levels, and so that's got to be that's got to be my my second pick for sure. Well, that's a uh, that's a great pick. 
um, because to be aware is to be alive is uh, probably my favorite um, unwritten philosophy. Um, And one of the ways that I interpret it and think of it is, as you mentioned, about a person being aware of how they're feeling at all times. Um, because if you are, if you can train yourself to be that, you know, be in touch in that manner, then you have a great chance to uh, be able to control how you behave. And controlling how you behave is not does not mean that you don't feel. It just means there's a time and there's a place, and knowing and being aware of how you're feeling, you can dictate. You know how you're responding to things that are might be stimulating you in your in your environment. Um, so that's the way that I kind of like to to teach it. And of course, to be aware to be alive touches so many different aspects, not only of right. treatment but just in life. Um, so yeah, that's one. That's definitely one of my favorites. So uh, this is this is the disadvantages when you don't win the coin toss. <laughs> that's, you're, you're that's always right. in the, you're always in the trail position. And so, you know, you're always reacting and you know, to the pick that's made in front of you. You know what I mean? So right, you're lining right. yourself up, you're lining yourself up for your next pick and you're eyeballing what your next pick is gonna be. They then swoop in, i.e. you, steal it out from underneath you, then you have to drop down to your next pick on your board. So let me now cross it off my board since it was stolen out from underneath me. And by the way, just we're both reading off of a list, and this list comes out of our orientation packet. So the, the unwritten philosophies are numbered, not necessarily in order of importance. They're just numbered on the list. And so, like, to be aware to be alive is number 11. So he had to reach deep down the list <laughs> That's to right. pull that one out. That's right. Um, okay, so for my second pick, I'm going to go – with responsible love and concern. Oh, okay. All right. Responsible love and concern. Uh, this one is paramount in the recovery process uh, because one thing addicts don't do well with is A, holding themselves accountable, and B, certainly holding others accountable. And so, again, in the therapeutic community, we put things in place for them to practice holding themselves accountable and holding other people accountable. Now, why, why is that important? Why is that significant? Well, when we go out into society and leave the treatment environment, there's not going to be staff uh, – my, my peers, or so many peers, I should say, you still may have peers outside, um, that are going to be holding me accountable to the extent that it's occurring in the treatment environment. Because all that you're experiencing in the treatment environment is a group of people who are practicing the same thing. And so it's very intensified and magnified at the same time. So when you step out of the treatment environment, all of a sudden you're left to your own devices and you now have to respond. You, you, you yourself have to be responsible for holding yourself accountable. So the responsible side of the responsible love and concern is being responsible with yourself, 
being responsible with others by maintaining whatever your standards that you've set for yourself, your positive standards, maintaining your, the boundaries you've set for yourself, your positive boundaries, etc. And of course, the love and concern side is, and again, this we practice it inside the treatment environment, but it really, really magnifies itself when you're outside the treatment environment of the, the ultimate way that you express uh, love and concern for somebody is by holding them accountable, um, you know, in their best interest. Am I going to let someone else do something that, to me, is not in their best interest? And let me clarify, I shouldn't say let, but not speak to it. Because ultimately we can't control what another person does, another adult. But we can certainly hold them accountable, speak to it, and then know that I've done my part by speaking to it and letting my thoughts, my feelings known about either what they're doing, their behavior, what they're saying, how they're conducting themselves, decisions they're making, etc. So responsible love and concern in the physical sense is a necessary uh, part of a successful recovery. You have to live that. You have to live it. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. Well done. Well, I I, uh, I can't say you didn't get me there a little bit because that was one that I had my eyes on. Um, but I did have a backup and plan just in case you did strike and take that. And so we're going to go with one straightforward to the point, nice and easy, concise, no free lunch. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we're going no free lunch. Um, and now this one, this one is pretty literal in the sense that it is, you know, it's, it's not uh getting too deep or philosophical. You don't have to read between the lines with this one. Essentially you got to work. You got to work for everything that it is that you're going to do in the treatment realm. Now, you know, I I do like to talk about how the adolescent program uh, would spin this one from time to time. The kids would take it literal in the sense that, like, you need to do your chores or you need to do what needs to be done uh, to have your meals around here, quite literally, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, which I always thought was pretty funny. Got to earn your keep. You got to earn your keep. But I will say the idea that no free lunch just essentially meaning, you know what, you reap what you sow. You're, you're going to get out of here, and we tell clients this all the time. You're going to leave this place and take with you whatever it is you put into it. And so if you don't put much in, you can't expect to get much in return. But if you work hard and you give it your all and you put everything that you need to put into this treatment experience for yourself – and for your future, then that's exactly what you're going to get out of it. And so um, just as short and to the point as the philosophy is will be my elaboration on it. No free lunch speaks for itself. Got to have it. Well, let me just add to that, Mr. Producer, as you as we've talked about on this show numerous times about no free lunch, that it also applies emotionally. There's no free lunch emotionally. What do we mean by that? That in order to get where you want to go, more often than not, especially in the treatment context, okay, that you have to give something up emotionally. And oftentimes, clients get stuck at that point. 
Well, what does that mean? I have to give something up emotionally. So, well, a lot of things that keep us stuck are usually based in the emotional realm that we aren't dealing with, we're not facing, we're not, you know, touching on it, etc. We're not approaching it head on. Um, we sometimes try and go around it, go under it, go over it, and that doesn't work. And unless you are willing to, you know, go right at the beast, my hands are in air quotes, whatever that may mean for you individually, and uh, relinquish that tight grip that we sometimes like to keep on our emotional uh, um, pains, if you will, that's the actual secret to moving past them and letting them go. Got to give them up. And that's, you know, the no free lunch in that is that, well, in order to get to that place of freedom, I have to pay. And my payment is giving, giving up whatever it is I'm holding on to. It's like an emotional payment. Right, right. <clears throat> There's no free lunch in the emotional sense also. Well, you're, you're, you're definitely uh, stealing my, uh, my power, my, my power <laughs> unwritten philosophies. Um, it's like you're just well, reading my mind. I have them checked off here too. I, I haven't even worked on my backup plan because I'm just thinking that, you know, they're not going to be taken from me. But oh, no, they got to be. <laughs> This is my uh, third round pick. And this is, uh, and, and what we'll say too is, this is if we're going round by round, that this is the sixth round, uh, sixth pick anyway. But your third round, so go ahead. Right, I'll say right. what I'm going to say for a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm going to reach deep down the board to number fourteen again. This is. It, where they are at has no bearing on their importance in the in the list in the orientation Ooh, packet. that's a good one. That's a good one. But uh, I'm gonna go with forgiveness. That's a good big one. one. Big one that I like to talk about. Um, oftentimes, when somebody thinks that they have they they've done their work, they have and really invested in them in their treatment, invested in themselves, and um, you know they're they're ready to move forward into whatever the next chapter is for them out there in society. And one of the things I'd like to find out is where they are at with a forgiving themselves, which is the hardest forgiveness for addicts. Forgiving themselves for things that they've done to themselves first, to others. Second, so forgiving yourself, because you certainly cannot forgive an, another until you have forgiven yourself. But it it's certainly true that most, especially in the treatment context, I've always prefaced it with that. Most think that oh, I can I can forgive other people. I'm not ready to forgive myself yet. Well, it doesn't work that way. Because in order to forgive other people, in order to bestow forgiveness on somebody else, you have to be coming from a place of strength that you have forgiven yourself for anything that 
you need to be forgiven for. So that's the kind of the order that it works in. And if you kind of leave your treatment experience with, you know, forgiveness hanging out there, so to speak, whether it's forgiving yourself, and let's say you've done that, but you know what? There's people I'm never going to forgive them for what they've done to me. So if you leave that hanging out there, as long as you intellectually and um, emotionally know, let me actually broaden that. As long as you intellectually, emotionally, mentally, spiritually know that you will still not fully move forward until you can square that forgiveness to whomever it is that it belongs to, until you could square that away. That's just a reality. If it's existing out there for you as something that needs to take place, but you're resisting it, I'm not going to forgive that person for nothing. I don't care, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to forgive them. That's fine. As long as you also at the same time acknowledge, and I understand by saying, and I understand that by not working through the forgiveness in that area, I understand that I'm not going to fully be able to move forward in freedom. Yep. Can't let, we have. All right, folks, it looks like we <laughs> we might have lost the good host uh, as the dance or ballet continues between blog talk and our wonderful show here. So what we're going to do is we are going to take a quick music break uh, while we try and figure this out, and hopefully we can figure it out sooner than later, get back on the air and finish up the draft show. We hope you've all been enjoying to this point, and we will return shortly. Just a 
that night I'd like to know the taste of honey in my life In my life Well, I've shared so many pains And I've played so many games Oh, but everyone finds the right way Somehow, somewhere, someday Whoa 
That's right, folks. We're back, and I'm throwing I'm throwing all the sound bites out because once again we're rolling, rocking and rolling on what I think is one of the better episodes we've had in quite some time. I like the the uh, the vibe that the show has. We've related it to NFL Draft Week. We're having a little fun today. And uh, sure enough, as sure as eggs are eggs, we have more technical difficulties that has booted our host clean off of the show. Uh, and, yeah, who knows? Maybe somebody at Blog Talk is listening that was uh, not a fan of our host's fourth-round pick or third-round pick, I should say. Maybe they thought it was a bit of a reach and they thought he should have played a little safer and drafted something higher up on the board. Who knows? But uh, what I will do while we try and figure things out to get our great host back on the air is I will finish going through the list of uh, philosophies for everybody out there, what we had left to be drafted, touch a little bit on each one of them. Excuse me. We'll take a commercial break. Hopefully by that time we'll get our host back. So we had left off where our host drafted forgiveness and he was elaborating a little bit on forgiveness and why he believes that's, and that might be the host right there. I think uh, I'm hearing breath coming from the other microphone. Uh, Are are you on the air? Is that that you, our good host? Can you hear me? Absolutely. Loud and clear. Loud and clear. So I am not on the other microphone. I'm connecting via a a different method. Um, So we can use this for now if it sounds sounds good enough. If it meets our standards. Yeah, well, I'd say, you know, any any sound right now to finish off the episode (laughs) that we had great momentum going into is going to be good enough. Uh, so I had just come back, and what I told the audience is that uh, you were just finishing up on your elaboration of forgiveness. I was going to run down the list of the rest of philosophies with them and touch on each one, and then we would try and fix the problem to get into the recovery sport time segment. But you're back, so we're going to ride with this for now. And uh, what I did say, what I did put out there that you'll hear on the playback is that maybe somebody uh, from Blog Talk was listening that is aware of our organization, our philosophies, and was not a fan of your number seven pick, was not a fan of the third-round pick of forgiveness, thought that was a bit of a reach, and decided to cut you right off. Well, maybe because they know I am struggling on my forgiveness of Blog Talk for all of the technical <laughs> difficulties they've caused Yes, me. yes, indeed. So... All right. Well, you you were almost done with your elaboration on forgiveness, but do you want to throw anything else out there, or are we free for me to move on to my next pick? We we can move on. I'm done. All right. Beautiful. Well, with my next pick, I'm not going to look too much further than your pick of forgiveness. In fact, not only do I believe the two are directly related, but they happen to be next to each other on our actual sheet of paper. And we are going to start the fourth round out with compensation is valid. Um, I've I've always liked this philosophy. um, And I think you said it perfectly when you were talking about forgiveness, that there are uh, definitely in this field, we deal with a lot of people who um, have a very hard time forgiving themselves, forgiving others. Forgiveness in general is a tough one. And I believe that, you know, a lot of times that's because there's not a belief that compensation is valid. Uh, There is not a belief that, you know, there are there are things that I can do to atone for my poor decisions or for some of the some of the things that I've done in my life. Um, 
And that can even be uh, kind of a direct line of thinking in recovery, generally speaking. You know, if if I suffered a relapse, suffered a setback, fell on hard times, and now I don't believe that I'm I'm worthy of whatever might be coming to me or that I can make up for it. I'm going to have this jacket forever. I've lost all the trust that the staff had in me or my peers had in me, and now um, I'm not going to be able to get that back. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, because just as it lies within the power of forgiveness, um, you don't need to be defined by the decisions that you've made in the past. Uh, you can be defined or redefine yourself by the decisions you make moving forward. And the only way to undo that kind of jacket or stigma that might be attached to you from some of the decisions that you have made in your past is by compensating and working hard and working on yourself to become a better individual, uh, to become somebody who is a responsible and productive member, not only of the family and within the TC community, but in, in the actual community at large. And the way to do that is through compensating by, you know, making up for it on the other end. And so I believe that goes hand in hand with forgiveness. And it's a philosophy that has always really, really resonated with me. Uh, So that's gotta be, that's gotta be my fourth round pick right there. Okay. That sounds good. I will add that um, uh, one of the things we always try and get across is that when we say compensation is valid, that we're saying, as you stated, that there is a just reward for the work that you put in. So if you put in the emotional work, you will get a reward. You put in the physical work, you will get a reward. You will get the just compensation that you are due. Um, However, However, if your attitude is such that I'm only doing this in order to get some compensation, you shall get nothing. And so <laughs> and like it. <laughs> and like it. <laughs> so your your uh you know, your reasoning has to be pure, i.e. I'm gonna do the work and the compensation that I get from it is going to be the compensation that I'm justly due, whatever that may be. Yep. And you have to be open to that and, and acknowledge that and not be expecting something. You know, I, this is what I deserve. You don't deserve Jack. Right, right. And that should be the attitude. All right, that's a great pick, fourth-round pick. Um. So where will I pick on the fourth round? I'm going to go with, an, uh, well, before I make my, the error message that I've been waiting for Mr. Producer has come up. So I'm going to see if it allows me. And we'll just do it while everybody's listening. Yep. See if it allows me to go back to my uh, headset. And it does not. So I'll just, no I'll just stay right. I'll just stay right here. And just for the record, I know I didn't say this when I got back on the line, um, but just so it's it, it's in the recording. This is unbelievable. <laughs> I actually, when we came back from break, I dropped the Vince Lombardi and I dropped the toilet flush. Oh, good, good. All right, uh, my fourth pick 
in the 2018 recovery draft, the draft of the unwritten philosophies, I'm going to go with uh, act as if. Beautiful. Act as if. Uh, in the words of, uh, and this, this is for our, 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 our older folk, um, I think you have to be at least above age 40 to know what I'm about to say. Um, this is a line from Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. Okay. You know nothing. So in, in my best German accent, you know nothing. Um, act as if, and and we tell all of our clients walking in the door at some point or another that there is no expectation of anyone coming in the door knowing everything that they have to do, knowing everything there is to know about recovery, they don't. And there's no expectation that they do. However, what we would like to see is that in lieu of that knowledge, that you're given some written instructions, some written guidance in your orientation packet, that you take that material and you use it to Act as if you know. Conduct yourself as if you know. Challenge yourself as if you know. So let's break it down a little further. We tell them act as if. So we we know that you may, may be afraid to get involved in certain areas, participate in certain areas. So we say act as if you aren't afraid. The fear in your back pocket and just act as if you're not afraid. Act as if the fear is not there. You may want to take certain positions in the house, positions of authority, but you don't know too much about what's involved, what you need to know to do what, you know, do what the position requires. We say act as if. Take it and try and figure it out. Seek and assume. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and as is the case for probably all of the other philosophies, act as if doesn't just stop doesn't stop when you're in, you know, because you leave the treatment environment, it continues. You're going to encounter many circumstances, you know, real world circumstances where you're going to have to be able to act as if until you figure out your, your way through it. And that practice starts in the treatment environment early in the recovery process. I'm not sure what I got to do here, but you know, what? I'm just going to act as if. I'm going to act like I know what I'm doing until I do know what I'm doing. So that's act as if for me. All right. All right. Well done. We're going to, we're going to move on to round five. And um, I'm going to go with one that I have always liked because um, I believe it is, it is very true, not only of the field that we work in or in the therapeutic community, generally speaking, rather, it is also true in the world of recovery at large. And that would be, you cannot keep it unless you give it away. Um, You know, it's all, it's all about giving back. Uh, in our field, it's all about giving back in the TC. You just mentioned a little bit ago older members or, um, you know, and we've talked about this on the show time and time again. You don't come in as an expert at all. Uh, 
we don't expect people to come in knowing everything there is to know about recovery or what it takes to get it. Because if you did, um, and you could apply that knowledge, you certainly wouldn't be here. Uh, but when we do have an expectation and that you might want to have this of yourself, that when you've gotten what you needed to get and you're growing and you're doing well and you're a, you're a middle peer and you become an older member and eventually maybe you complete the inpatient portion of your treatment and you're phase five and you're coming back once a week to do your group and check in with the family, um, that there is a role that you have inherited, whether you want to be in that role or not. And that's the role of role model. And people are going to look up to you. I've always thought, you know, the phase fives and the graduates of the program have just as much impact, if not more than the staff, um, because you are seeing these folks come back onto the property. And these are walking, living, breathing examples of what this program can do and folks who have recently come through the program and been in your shoes. And so the impact that these folks have is great. And the idea that they could come and give back the things that they've learned and run a seminar every now and then, or join the family in a meal and chat with folks to inspire them to do certain things um, is major. And uh, it also, you know, when you're in the position to give back, uh, it helps strengthen you in your own recovery because you're doing something that's right. You're doing something that's good, uh, makes you feel good. And sometimes it's good to get that refresher. Um, I know that, that having given back to clients uh, or even some of my peers a long time ago, you almost have this out-of-body experience when you're talking to somebody that's struggling and the words that you're saying to them, uh, you're thinking about it as you're saying it and, and how applicable it is to yourself. Uh, and keeps you grounded and keeps you stable. And so I believe that this is a philosophy that uh, touches folks on both ends of the candles, if you will, yourself and the individual that you're giving back to. Uh, and then I think that even out transcending addiction, that this is just very, very true in life. Uh, when you become a parent and you give away the things that you learn to pass along, you know, and keep the human race going if you want to get really deep and philosophical with it. Um, but I do think that it is a very powerful philosophy. Agreed. The only thing I'll say is that um, for those who are young in the recovery process, um, you can't keep it unless you give it away. If you are practicing that, it helps to reinforce what you're currently experiencing. So as you're going around speaking you know, putting it into words and speaking to it to your peers and what have you, okay, it's at the same time reinforcing that philosophy, whatever it is that you might be talking about that's related to recovery, it's reinforcing it in, in yourself as you're going about living it. So that's very important when you're, when you're young in recovery uh, because you need that, that reinforcement. And, and one way to get it is not only from other people you know, talking to you and, and so on and so forth, but you speaking it yourself, hearing the words come out your own mouth, seeing the feet and experiencing the feedback you get from other people. By the way, just as an FYI, I am now back on the official host mic. We're on the full 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 mic. We're a full go again. Yeah. So all right. So what was that? Now it's pick number five, fifth round for you? We are in the fifth round. This is your fifth round pick, absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Guilt Kills. 
there you have it. Now, I, I, I usually have a good time with the family talking about this one historically because, of course, we, you know, we talk within the treatment environment one thing about what guilt means. Um, however, I like to take it outside of the treatment environment because ultimately when you go outside the treatment environment, no one gives you know, a rat's behind about the dust ball in the corner of the dining room. Um, ultimately, unless you're making a, a, an analogy connection, okay, no one cares about that. However, okay, when we connect it to the outside world, what we're talking about is we hope that during your treatment experience that you have developed within yourself an internal standard of being, whatever that may be for you. Everybody has their own internal standards. And that through the process in, within the program, within, within treatment, of learning to identify violations of that standard. So we, we kind of push an external standard on you in the therapeutic community and then have you respond to that. So what is that external standard? We have rules, we have regulations, we have practices, we have protocols. And we say you must abide by those things. And if you don't abide by them or if you violate one of them, that's quote-unquote acquiring guilt. That's acquiring the effect of knowledgeable wrongdoing. Okay, and then not copping to it. Okay, so we say that you've acquired guilt. So that's in the treatment environment. Outside of treatment, when you set your own internal standards and then go about violating it, the natural process is that normally, again, I have to use air quotes, a person feels bad about doing that. They know internally that they violated a standard that they've set for themselves. Let's use a simple example. Most people have a standard that they're not going to steal, okay? And if they do that for no good reason, it, it violates an internal standard. They know it's wrong, and they feel bad about that, okay? And so we hope that the feeling bad about it is enough for you to correct that. So if you, if you made a bad decision, that you go about correcting it. And that correction is, you know, is, is, is pushed feeling bad about what you've done. So that's really the deep, deep-rooted meaning of guilt kills. We know when people have guilt about things that they've done, guilt about things that they've been involved in, guilt about things that they've experienced, okay, and they carry that around, okay, what, that, what it means when we say guilt kills is that when you, when you carry stuff like that for months and years and so on and so forth, okay, it wears on you emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. It just wears on the human being. And it's in their best interest to alleviate that. I agree. So that's, that's guilt kills for me. That's good. That's well stated, well summed up. It's uh, it's one that I believe, you know, doesn't always get a lot of attention and kind of the obvious, uh, you just want us all to be snitches. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it it definitely, definitely a lot deeper when you break it down and, and super important to recovery, as you stated. So, with, Especially with all the money we've spent on yellow pads over the years. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well... We've I'm got, sure the uh, I'm sh I'm sure the office supply company is like, why the hell does this business keep ordering yellow pads? 
Yeah, this is <laughs> this is a ton of yellow pads. Absolutely. Um, that's funny. So we start with what I like to call the Tom Brady, the Tom Brady round. Okay, so yep, this is the sixth where round. the sixth round. This is where sleepers and future Hall of Famers can be found. Yep. And uh, so I've got one that I believe is perfect for that, and another one that I believe, although I guess all of these go beyond. Uh, the realm of addiction in the field of recovery. Um, but this one I think is really kind of tangible to overall, just life overall. We're going, it's better to understand than be understood. Yep. Um, yep, yep, yep. Definitely a big one in treatment. Um, and again, so I'll relate this back to the, the days of the adolescent program, and you could not meet a single one of these teenagers coming in here who didn't already have all the answers. And uh, every time a situation would arise, they cared not about the point that you were trying to make, rather just wanted to be heard, the point that they were trying to make. And, um, boy, I'll tell you, I know you've you've saved sound clips in the archives and brought them back either months or years later to get me in trouble. And so I hope I'm not about to walk in and give you another underhanded pitch and uh, let you walk right into a trap here. But we'll say as a married man, this is also a very, very important and applicable philosophy. Uh, this is something that we, we have to learn, and this is where I go outside of the treatment realm and life in general, that it's not always about the point you want to make or the point that you're trying to get across, but it's very important to hear where the other individual is coming from. And I think this goes into being open versus being closed. And in treatment, this is a very big thing, too, that the goal is to get a client to a space where they're just open to the process. We're, we're, not, we're not telling you that everything that we say you need to take is gold, uh, but we also want to get you out of that closed mind frame where you're not listening to a thing. And if you can just be open and try and understand where we're coming from, then you might see there's a lot of things that you can learn along the way that will help you out, you know, in not only in recovery but in life. So I think it's a real important philosophy and a great a perfect one for the sixth round where you might find that that sleeper the the next hall of famer if you will absolutely um <clears throat> it's you know the the tc is is unbelievable um because there, there's nothing i like hearing more uh, even though we always we, we we try and clamp it down a little bit but there's a certain thing to be walking throughout the facilities and to hear some bickering going on in the t- <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> on the cruise and the, on the work cruise you hear some bickering going on um to to me that's just a sign of of life you know in the TC um so and, and one of the things i i do hear every now and then is you know unwritten philosophy being thrown out when there's bickering going on better to understand to be understood. In other words, you know, as my father once told me, his only, the only marriage advice he gave me, no one to keep your mouth shut. So, it's about learning to listen. Yep. Yep. Learning to listen and uh, understanding the other person first. Uh, and when I say understand, doesn't mean hearing them first. It means understanding them first which takes a little bit more time. So it's different when a person, as soon as they finish talking, you're ready to put your two cents in. No, 
it's actually taking the time to understand what they're saying okay, so you can incorporate it into your response. And it's easy to tell whether or not you've understood somebody versus you just heard them talk because your response will reflect that understanding. Sometimes even the first words that come out your mouth, if they're not on autopilot. So what I mean by that is oftentimes if you have understood what somebody's saying, sometimes you could say, you know what, I hear that. And I, I feel what you're saying, I under, and I understand that. So that's an acknowledgement of what the person just said. Now, if that's what you say all the time, then that's just on autopilot. So, but usually you can tell if a person is understanding the other party and is rather than just hearing them. So, yes, I like that one, and it's integral to the the lifeblood of the TC. Because if there's nothing that happens in the TC, it's bickering. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that's your sixth pick, huh? That's We're my almost sixth, done. That's We're my almost sixth done. round. That's that, my Tom Brady. Yep. We need to get your Tom Brady now. And just FYI, Mr. Producer, that number 13 on our list I've crossed out because that's not part of the original 14. So. Um, right, I noticed that. Okay, so... So that's good, and if that's the case, it's going to be even, because I was anticipating, uh, since there were 15 up there, there'd be an additional round, and I was going to call that philosophy the uh, the undrafted free agent. Right. Uh, so for my sixth, sixth pick, I'm going to go, um, wow, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for a Hall of Fame reach here. Personal growth before vested status. There it is. Personal growth before vested status. We know what that means in treatment. We know what that means in the therapeutic community because one of the things people start to strive for are positions of authority, which require growth to lead people to, uh, you know, to be a good leader, to be in control of your own uh, human uh, foibles, if you will, when you get, you know, power and authority granted to you that you use it wisely. What's yep. number, what's what's the number one complaint in encounter group historically is power tripping. Yeah. When they yeah. become when they become a ramrod, the department head, uh, the chief or a coordinator. Um. So personal growth, historically, a person would be in treatment for a period of time, and it has, you know, gone back and forth of that what that time period is as as you know over the years. But they've usually been in treatment for a period of time before they start to uh, be granted positions of authority. Um, but let's take it to outside of of the treatment environment. Personal growth before vested status. One of the ways I interpreted this was, for me, like an example of a vested status, parent, being a husband, being a, a good sibling, a good friend. To me, those are vested statuses that have meaning to them, especially that friend one. Um, that doesn't discount the other. The other ones are very important. But um, we, we, we throw that word around so loosely, like what does it mean? And – to, to be called a friend carries it with a great responsibility, um, and you have to be able to live up to that. And you must have the, 
you know the the maturity and the and the evolution and the growth to be able to meet those responsibilities of being called a friend. And if you don't, otherwise, a you're just an associate or you're just officially work still working, <laughs> working yeah, right? on being, being a friend. You haven't been anointed a friend yet. That's 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 my standard of a friend that you have to be anointed that, and that means you've accomplished certain things to to be able to fulfill that role. But friend, uh, husband, father, you know, a parent, uh, sibling, you know, um, son, daughter, etc. Those to me are vested statuses out there. Okay, not your quote unquote position at work. But your vested status is in terms of how you in, you know impact other people in your life in your in your circle, um, and whether or not you have the growth, the personal growth to to meet what that status requires. That's what it means to me. In my sixth pick in the draft, I like it. Personal growth. So that that that's your uh, that's your Tom Brady right there. That's my Tom that's Brady. Your Tom pick. Brady moment. Yep. All right. Let's uh last, last round, my friend. Here. Last round. This is it. This is this is the the make or break round. This is where typically you look for your punters, but I'm looking for that diamond in the rough. Oh boy. And you know what's funny? The 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 two that are left are both um almost interchangeable. Uh let's see. We'll, you know what? We'll we'll go with uh, the good karma. We'll go with what goes around comes around. Yep. Um, I believe that to be again uh, transcendent of just the field of recovery, but uh, a life philosophy in general. Um, you know what's been said a lot in the treatment realm, and I agree with it completely, is that we are not just trying to teach people how to live free from drugs. Um, and become dry drunks, so to speak. We are actually in the business of trying to provide an environment where people can better themselves as an entire person. And I think that, you know, what goes around comes around speaks to, you know, the energy that you put into the universe, uh, good, bad, or indifferent is generally the energy that you're going to get back, right? And if you've got this, this kind of positive, open mindset and and you approach things with that that philosophy or that outlook on life, you're setting yourself up to get great return on the things that you do and what you invest in. And so it goes beyond just being able to be drug-free or, hey, you know, if I hang out with these people or I put myself in these situations, this is what I can expect to get out of it. Um, you know, just staying clean and sober uh, versus relapsing. I think this is a much more bigger picture philosophy. And that's just us trying to, you know, continue to grow as individuals every single day and, and become better people um, in all the roles that we play in our life. And kind of like you said, the role of friend or the role of husband or the role of parent, the role of wife, um, the role of, you know, somebody in recovery or the role of an employee or whatever the case may be. Um, to be the best individual in that role you could possibly be. Um, and that if you put in the work and the time and effort to do that, then generally that's what you're going to get, or that's what's going to come back to you. Absolutely. What goes around comes around. I don't have anything to add to that one. 
Karma. That's right. Negative, negatively or positively, karma. That's, that's right. Well, this kind of this is the disadvantage of uh, losing the coin toss. At the end, you're you're left. You're just left with what's left. That's right. You have no choice. <laughs> you have no choice. You can't you can't not not make the pick. The rules require that you fish or formally make the pick. So I'm right. going to formally make the pick. My final pick in the seventh round is uh, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And if and if that ain't the truth. Very and much like, and so. Like you, like you said, Mr. Producer, of course, we can, we can talk all day about how that applies in treatment. Historically, when people go for positions in the TC that – Seem and look good on the outside until they get in the position. They realize how much, how much work it is. That's right. To be the chief, to be the coordinator. That's right. To be the, I want to be, be a COD. I just want to sit around all day, not have to wash dishes. Working in the kitchen, being in charge of the kitchen, it's a lot of work. A lot of work, but it doesn't may not look that way from the outside. It may look like it's you know they're just kicking back, but and it, it's a lot of work. But um. As in treatment, the same goes in life. Um, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. And that also works negatively and positively. It's a fair due warning um, that be clear on what it is you're putting out there to the universe, what you're wishing for, asking for, praying for if it applies. Because if and or when it comes forth, you must be prepared to receive it and deal with whatever comes with it. And that's as simply as I can state from my perspective what this unwritten philosophy means. Whatever it is that you wish for, ask for, pray for, strive for, if and when it comes to you, make sure that you're ready for it, able to receive it, and deal with whatever comes with it, whether it good, whether it's bad, or it's ugly. And that's that. That's that. We've got uh, we've got the not, the unoriginal, no compromise left on the board. He'll have to go to some, some invites, some walk-on tryouts, and hope he can make the cut as an unrestricted free agent. So, Mr. Producer, unlike with the NFL draft, our draft in the NFL the team that drafts a player, only that team gets to use that player. In our draft, fortunately, either one of us can use any any unwritten philosophy that we drafted. That's right. Of course. Um, so this was good. This was fun. I liked it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Spiced up the episode a little bit, and uh, you know, hopefully, I lighten it up for the for the listeners as well. So. We are a little behind it, uh, thanks to uh, thanks to or no thanks to Blog Talk and their technical difficulties once again. But we do see that we've got some callers on the line that we know want to participate in the Recovery Sport Time segment, uh, which is the segment we're getting to next. So we do appreciate you guys sticking with us and also hope you've enjoyed the episode to this point. We are going to take a quick music break. You got something to say, Mr. Host? Nope. Let's hit it up real quick so we can come back. Beautiful. We're going to take that quick break, and we will catch you all on the other side.
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Yeah, hit you with it right off the bat. Try and catch you off guard. <laughs> All right, let's uh, go to the phones. We've had some people holding for a while. Our apologies. Blog talk. Uh, let's see, who's been holding longest? Let's go to <clears throat> Blue from the great state of Texas. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hey. So I got a question for you. So why is AA or NA important in recovery? Um, it's another support option for someone that's, uh, you know, either coming out of, uh, like a residential treatment program or wanting to supplement if they're an outpatient or let's say they're not in treatment at all and they're just looking to supplement their recovery, associate with people who are in recovery and things of that nature. Um, it's a very good supplement for someone who needs it and wants it. Okay. By the way, um, AA is the uh, oldest recovery program in the universe. Right. <clears throat> it was founded in the 30s, right? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So is there any alternative that doesn't have um, a higher power involved? That's, well... AA, their concept, excuse me, their concept is is kind of quote unquote higher power based. Okay, um, and some people love that, some people like that, some people are neutral to it, some people don't like it. So I always say that if you're a person who doesn't like that, 
you can take those aspects of it out and still benefit from AA. But if, if it rubs you the wrong way so much that you don't want anything to do with it, there's many other different types of programs you can go to that don't have that their main, their, their, their foundation is higher power base. You understand what I mean? Right. Okay. So that's that. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. I think you'll find, Mr. Producer, there are many different types of, of programs that um, all have a little, you know, if, if only a small little bit of, you know, the historical AA in it. Yep, yep. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Even if it's just a, a, a formal nod. <laughs> yeah. A formal nod. <clears throat> a shout out, a quick little shout out. Yep, exactly. Uh, let's go to Alfred from the great San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Good. Yeah, okay, my question for you is um, how do I stop outside influences from hindering my recovery process? How, how are they hindering it? Um, for one, like, on top of my head, fi- financially, I guess, like, the relationship that I have now, I have a young, um, a young son, seven month old, and um, basically every time I call, I talk to her, I mean, like I, I, I get not get angry, but like I, I seem to lose my temper, or at times when 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 she keeps on telling me what's going on, and it's. All my What's doing, but still, you know, I get uh, I, I my my temper flares up and and. What do you, when you said financially? What do you mean? Can you be more specific? Can you what's 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 the issue? Um, basically, she's raising the, her our child. Right. On her own. Right. While while I'm in while I'm in recovery. Right. And um, it's taken all my patience to. Get through what I have been getting through to this point, and I was just, you know, I, I was just putting it out there. What what other ways can uh, help deal with it? Is it something she's doing, or just the experience overall? Just the experience overall. I mean, I don't blame her for for what she's saying and everything. I, I know I put myself, I put her and myself in this situation mm-hmm. that we're in right now. So. And have you formally taken responsibility for that? I have, but there's, there's seems like there's so much I could say. It seems like my actions would speak louder, but I right now I don't have many options, or I'm trying to find options while I'm in recovery. You mean to support the raising of your child and things like that? That and. How to deal with how to deal with what, what you know what's going on outside, and okay. uh, at the same time keep me put and, you know be where I have to be, be where I know I have to be. I know I'm asking a lot of questions. I just want to be clear. Yeah. So when you say dealing okay. with what's going on outside, you just specifically mean what's going on with your child. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
So when I asked about whether or not you have formally taken responsibility for whatever whatever role you've played in the situation being the way it is, what I mean by formally is either through person-to-person talking to the other party or through writing a letter and, you know, really spilling it and taking ownership for whatever belongs to you. What the other party says in response is ultimately irrelevant. This is just a necessary process for people to go through. If they are truly ready to do something different, part of that process is, okay, let me first um, take ownership for whatever troubles that I've caused, okay? And the purpose of that is certainly not to beat you over the head. The purpose of that is so that you cannot be externally beat over the head. Now, internally beat over the head, that means you beating your own self over the head. That's a different story. We, we hope that you would stop doing that. But by taking ownership and responsibility, you prevent the other party from trying to use your past and ha- keep hammering you over the head with it. So you just take that off the table right off the bat. You know what? I want to take responsibility for what I did and what I've caused. I am truly sorry for that. Now, after you utter those words, you're absolutely correct. What you will then be judged on is your actions. Your actions will then back up what you just said. And that will happen over a period of time. It'll take time for your actions to speak loudly. Okay? But until that happens, and as you go through the process of rebuilding your, your relationship with your young son. Son, right? Yes, yeah. Okay? Um, and rebuilding however the relationship is going to be with the child's mother as you either co-parent and however that's going to be, okay? Um, everything that you're doing, gearing towards that, is part of the showing and doing, part of the action. So even if a person is in treatment, getting off drugs, cleaning themselves up, that's part of action, And you have to give that its true power, not minimize it. Like, like, like being, you know, getting your act together, getting off drugs, getting cleaned up. Like that's like, like nothing. That's huge. That's that. I mean, that nothing else happens until the person does that. They can't. You can't be there for your son until you get straight. That's the point. I'm, I I try to get that point across, but being her being in the mix of. All this right now, all the pressures that she's going through, it's it. I don't know if she truly sees it or or acknowledges it. I mean, she may not. She yeah. may not, and and it's actually not her job to see it no. ultimately. Okay, it is your job, however, to. We were just talking about this on. We were just talking about this about the difference between hearing and understanding. Okay, it's your job to understand what she's going through, listen to what she's going through, and offer supportive response. Not response out of guilt, but just supportive response. Why is that important? Because it's all geared towards a successful co-parenting and raising and, and being there for that child. So, And sometimes, you're right, you may have to hold your belly and then go, you know, <laughs> dump it and share it elsewhere. But that's just the way it is. Yeah, I'm working on patience also with that. Okay. <laughs> I think that it's going hand in hand. 
Yep. But thank you. But you can you can't let anything throw you off of your personal course. Because until you are straight, you cannot be there for the child or the other parent. That's what I keep telling myself. But okay. yeah, it's, it's well, keep on why? repeating that to yourself. Don't don't allow anything to throw you off course. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. All right. Good stuff. Thank okay. You. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Mr. Producer. Yes, indeedy. First of all, how are we doing on time? Because I know we're way behind schedule today. Oh, we we uh we're good. I mean, we have about eight minutes here. You could certainly okay. probably clear the board. All right. So I just wanted to say real quick in reference to the previous caller that um even though it's a delicate situation because you're dealing with a, a, another party that's involved in 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 the in the in the rearing of the child right now and and has primary responsibility for the child, and there's a lot of frustration on that side. Yeah. For the position that they may be in as a result of the other party's uh, life choices. But ultimately, you know, we we want the father to get his act together, and we want the, the mother to somehow survive that process of the father getting their act together. And we know it's, fr- you know, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of, you know, why do I have to do this on my own and all of that stuff. Um, but the person who is trying to get themselves together has to be allowed to do that so that they can reclaim their rifle spot and be there as a, as a proper co-parent if that's the way it's supposed to, you know, what, what their goal, the goal is, if they're not going to be a couple. Right, right. Because if, if this gentleman gets pulled off of his, his path, then you get, you end up in a worse situation. You know what I mean? So Very true. Very true. We don't want that to happen. All right, let's go to Jared from Mission Vallejo, or I can't read that. Mission Viejo. Mission Viejo. Welcome. Hi, thanks. Um, yeah, my question is, um, what do you think about incorporating, like, meditation practice and Buddhist teachings or Eastern philosophy into recovery programs? They are already there. There are many, many programs that, as an integral part of their treatment philosophy, use those things. But often, they're disguised. Uh-huh. You, ever, you ever heard this saying, there's nothing new under the sun? I think I've heard it, yeah. Okay. Well, many programs, a lot of their philosophy... A lot of their, like in our program, we have unwritten philosophies. A lot of those come from Eastern teachings. We didn't invent them. Uh Uh-huh. You know what I mean? They they, they come from Greek teachings, Eastern teachings, biblical teachings, etc., and have been passed down. So, it, it exists. It's present in a lot of programs. You just have to, like, pull the covers back a little bit to see it. It's not advertised as such, is how I'll say mm-hmm. it. But it's there. What about uh, doing more meditation practices? Is that also a part of programs? I like to tell people, uh, if you're in a program and 
if it's not formally a part of the program's process of you know of of of, of teaching people to meditate or what have you, that nothing stops an individual from doing it. Nothing stops you or anyone from using their free time or using you know what any time that they have the ability to have a quiet moment to do meditation, because I absolutely agree with you. This is what you're stating that meditation and however people incorporate it or d- interpret it, because some people call it different things. Some people call prayer that's their meditation. Mm-hmm. Some people have the traditional Eastern definition of meditation. Whichever person uses doesn't make a difference. It's how they can find the time and the opportunity to do it if it's not a formal process in the in the treatment environment. I get you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear you. Thank you. But it's very important. You're welcome. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. Bye. I know, Mr. Producer, when uh, when I was going through treatment, um, there were a couple of people who were staff persons who were into um, Eastern philosophies, um, yeah, yeah. And, and would bestow it upon us, you know, informally. Um, it wasn't a part of the formal thing, but they would bestow it upon us informally. Um, and one of the messages, which I've since carried forward and said to this gentleman, this caller, is that you could take it upon yourself to incorporate um, those things into your own. Because remember, we always talk about, you know, treatment is is peer-based. It's, um, it's you know, self-motivated. Um, and so you can incorporate things that are positive and beneficial. They don't have to be part of the formal thing. You know what I'm saying? Very true. Yeah, very true. So people can that that's that's also part uh, part and parcel of taking you know responsibility um, for your own treatment instead of waiting for treatment to be applied to you like a Band-Aid, you know, like people are putting, putting, laying their hands upon you. It's taking responsibility for your treatment. I mean, us as a program, we absolutely provide a guide, um, a venue, um, reference, you know, materials to reference, visual references um, to help, you know, you know, urge you down the path a little bit and, and pro- provide some boundaries for you on that path. At least for me, my my perspective is that it's it's my hope that the client uses those those guidelines and becomes self motivated to incorporate the things that are available to them in the environment. But more but more importantly, where where does the bulk of a person's treatment experience come from? But dealing with your peers. You get your treatment from your peers, them holding you accountable, the experiences that you guys share in groups, the physical experience, the mental experience, the emotional experiences, the spiritual experiences, and you and learning from all of that and then incorporating it into your daily existence, your daily life. What do we always say? It's not it's not rocket science. Yeah, some of it some of it is, is deep and requires some professional assistance to kind of get you through the process, but it, it's not in the rocket science. Right. Right. And a lot of, I guess a lot of, like you said too, it's like laying the groundwork, you know, laying the foundation, but ultimately you're going to figure out your own boundaries and you're going to figure out exactly what 
what you need to do in your life to to be successful and to keep yourself on the trajectory that you're trying to um, maintain. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. it is kind of about that that discovery plays. You know. How much time do we have, sir? Uh, you got about two minutes. Okay. So one of the things I want to uh, let our audience know is, so we we have an Aerosmith theme today on our commercial music. And the, the the song we played over the first break was um, Dream On. And, and the reason I wanted these two th- songs, these, this theme, was have to do with the draft. Um, obviously, you know, you dream about <laughs> what you want your team to pick. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and then the second song that we're going to close out with in, the, in a minute um, is is crying because usually at the end of the day <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> crying because of what they ended up picking. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You did not get what you wanted to get. Holy get smokes! Yep. Oh, that's funny. All right. Great. Well, yeah. That's just about all the time we got. So I will say, even though we were we were delivered a haymaker by Blog Talk, we rolled with it, and we uh, we were given lemons and made lemonade. I there think you go. the show went well. Uh, and we do appreciate uh, everybody who continues to call in, listen, participate, um, just likes what we're doing and, and likes to join us when we're on the air. Uh, we do appreciate the ongoing support and, and kind of the, um, the, the following that we have been able to gather. And we enjoy putting out content for everybody. So we do appreciate you guys who keep us going because you're the reason we do it. Uh, we will probably be back with you guys a couple of weeks, two to three weeks. And uh, we wish everybody a productive couple of weeks here and a fun and safe couple of weekends. We will catch you all on the flip side.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.